Hello and welcome to Season 2 of the Leading Through Uncertainty podcast. I'm Jude Jennison, founder of Leaders by Nature and host of this podcast, and I'm the author of the book Leading Through Uncertainty. In this series, I'll be delving into each of the chapters of the book and exploring what's the context of uncertainty, what are some of the challenges we face, and what are the habits and leadership behaviours that we need to adopt in order to navigate uncertainty more easily. This week, I'm reading chapter six of the book Leading Through Uncertainty, and this chapter is called Pain and Trauma. And before I read this, I just want to set some context for it, because uh, one of my beta readers, when he read the book, said, I don't understand why you've got a a chapter on pain and trauma in in a leadership book. Surely that, that has its place in therapy, but not in leadership. And I said to him, Have you ever had an experience at work that was painful or a job that was painful? And he said, oh, well, yes, obviously. And I said, that's why there's a chapter on pain and trauma in a leadership book, because we all have experiences that are painful and traumatic. Um, So and again, the chapter starts with a story of Tiffin, who is an ex-racehorse, who had a very difficult start to life. Um, So the chapter is a story of an experience that I had with him and then I'll go on to read the chapter. Tiffin reared up, his eyes wild in fear and his legs flailing high above my head. My heart rate shot up and I jumped back to avoid being kicked. The rope snapped as Tiffin pulled away from the fence and he was free. He charged off down the yard towards the gate in the field, his head high, snorting in terror. I followed him cautiously terrified of being trampled or kicked. Tiffin stood at the gate and I took hold of the lead rope. His heart was racing and mine mirrored his, each of us fearing for our safety. I'm no match for a 600 kilogram horse who has lost all sense of reason, especially when my heart is pounding and I'm in overwhelm too. He danced on his toes, snorting and blowing hard. I couldn't remove his head collar when he was in this state, so I unclipped the lead rope, opened the gate and let him go. He needed to move his feet and be free, and I needed to bring my heart rate down so I could be more resourceful. Within a few minutes, Tiffin was calm again as the perceived danger and fear subsided. I calmed down too, but I remained cautious in handling him, knowing that the explosion could return another day. This was the first time Tiffin had behaved in this way. He'd been with me for six months and throughout that time he'd been sweet, gentle and willing. He was doing amazing work with clients and was engaged with me in between. I'd always thought he was easy to handle until that day when I realised he was more complex. I had tied all the horses up to groom them for a photo shoot. It's a rare occasion when my horses are tied up on the yard and even more rare that they're all tied up in a line. I think it reminded him of his racing days and he panicked. In the brief moment that Tiffin reared up, both his trauma of being beaten on a racing yard and my trauma of being unsafe with a rearing horse were both invoked. We were wary of each other for the next few months wanting to trust each other, knowing that deep down we were both kind and meant well, but both terrified for our safety. Tiffin's size, strength and unpredictability had the potential to seriously injure me if he exploded again. And I was sure he wouldn't hurt me on purpose, 
but he could do so easily in a moment of panic when he was not thinking clearly. Of course, Tiffin had no intention of rearing again any more than I would slap him, but it took a few months of learning to trust that we could be safe together before we could relax again. Triggering learned behaviours. At every moment, there will be people in your organisation who are suffering with mental health issues, loss or grief, people who have physical injuries, disabilities or medical issues such as heart failure or cancer. These things affect our leadership. We can't leave all of that behind. If you're in the midst of loss or have severe back pain or you have a parent with dementia or a child with cancer, you can't expect to operate at your peak performance level. That's really crucial. You can't expect to operate at your peak performance level. Human beings experience emotions. That means we're affected by physical and emotional trauma. It's unreasonable to expect anyone who is going through those things to disappear out of the workplace or self-manage it so it doesn't have an impact. You may think that pain and trauma have more to do with therapy than leadership. I include them in this book because they have a major impact in the workplace and are largely unspoken. People often believe it's wrong to express their emotions in the workplace, so they learn to suppress them instead of using them skillfully. Yet emotions, pain and trauma fundamentally change the way we behave and therefore lead. And this change is largely unconscious for most people. Everyone is influenced by pain and trauma at some point in their lives. While you may not yet have experienced pain or trauma, it's important as a leader to recognise where it might be influencing others. Uncertainty puts us under stress. How comfortable you are with uncertainty will determine how, how much stress you feel. Past pain and trauma are closer to the surface in these moments and it's much easier to be triggered by seemingly small events when you're already agitated. Negative experiences, both physical and emotional, linger in our memory over a long period of time, often without us being aware of them. They are part of the human condition and everyone will experience them at some point in their lives. Learned behaviours and responses to pain and trauma affect all of us and shape how we walk in the world. To ignore this in business belies the core of our humanity. We can be triggered by events that remind us, often subconsciously, of past pain and trauma because we invoke a desire to be safe. If we are unconscious of being triggered, we may experience emotional outbursts that appear to be out of proportion to the current event but are triggered by something deeper, as with Tiffin taking me by surprise. When on the receiving end of these outbursts, we often judge the other party as being out of control or not emotionally intelligent, when in fact they're operating at the limit of their stress and need our support. Where do you get triggered? Uncertainty is deeply uncomfortable for people, yet it is the new normal. The continuous pressure of being out of your comfort zone requires new skills and greater resilience than ever before. Leaders need to increase flexibility and adapt to changing situations and environments without panicking. When events happen unexpectedly, they can be traumatic. For example, for someone who has been rejected in the past, a forthcoming redundancy programme can trigger emotions around rejection. 
the fear of being made redundant may be greater for that person because they are scarred by the previous rejection experience, even if they're completely unaware of it. When we make decisions, we make them based on our own set of experiences, often without taking into account the fact that others will have a different set of experiences. If you've never experienced rejection or had a traumatic experience of any kind, you may not realise the impact that such an event can have and how it can emotionally trigger people's past pain and trauma. This is a leadership issue because leaders make decisions every day that affect others without fully understanding the consequences. If we repeatedly put either ourselves or others under continuous stress without being aware of the consequences, we exacerbate mental health issues and risk burnout. The high pressure of most business environments often shifts the focus to achieving results at the expense of the people. And this has a major impact on the mental health of employees and it's not sustainable. How do you balance meeting your targets and objectives while having compassion for the needs of your team and yourself? When we raise our self-awareness around our default patterns of behaviour, we can choose more consciously the actions we take in future and stop being limited by our old, often unconscious stories. However you deal with past experiences, they affect your behaviour. When you are aware of them, you can make conscious decisions about how you show up and the actions you take. This is a lifelong process of learning. Your experiences shape your world. The jobs you've done and the experiences you've had, both in your personal and your work life, shape how you show up as a leader and influence how you lead. If you've had a bad experience, a job that didn't work out, been made redundant or told you're not performing as expected, there's learning in that. But there's also some baggage around what works, what doesn't and why. Your experiences shape your leadership and leadership shapes business. If you've been a high performer all your life and had great roles and excelled in every one, that shapes your approach to the next role. You may be full of confidence because your leadership is tried and tested and has proven effective. What past experiences shape your behaviour and impact your leadership? Who in your team might be struggling with past experiences and how can you support them? By contrast, imagine you've performed a high-profile role that has not turned out well for whatever reason. How does that shape or influence your next role? Does it dent your, dent your confidence? Or can you bounce back and recognise that the conditions for success were not in place? With the pressure of work, decisions are often taken to remove people from roles instead of taking time to support them to learn new skills and do things differently. This has a huge impact on the confidence of highly skilled people as they find themselves pulled off projects at short notice, often with little discussion around how they could do things differently. If you do need to pull someone from a team, consider the long-term impact on the individual. Please make it as painless as possible for them. Every action you take as a leader can have a positive or negative impact on individuals. Consider how you can make this a more positive experience to boost their confidence instead of crushing it. If you're on the receiving end of such a decision, you can choose how you respond and the perspective you take. You can accept all the blame for a poorly executed decision and let a moment of failure derail your whole approach. Or you can see failure as a moment in time where something didn't work out as planned. 
this is what it means to be resilient, to bounce back from challenges, learn from the experience without blaming yourself and without blaming anyone else and move on. While your experiences shape your approach, the same is true for every single person in the organisation. On one level, people bring with them all their work experience, success and confidence from previous roles. They also bring the pain of the challenges they faced and didn't overcome, things they didn't do effectively, as well as mistakes they made and the impact that had on their career. How we respond to those mistakes and failures is crucial for our leadership. How do you support others to recover from failure and prevent it from derailing their future? Are you encouraging a culture of failure without blame or judgment? Or do you write people off quickly? There's huge learning to be had from these moments of pain and the challenges we experience if we choose to embrace that learning and explore how we can do things differently. Self-awareness is crucial to our leadership so that we can use our skills more readily and more consciously. By our very nature, we also sabotage our leadership and career, causing us to be stuck without realising it. All of our default habits and behaviours come with us wherever we go, the ones that help us succeed as well as the pain and trauma that limit our leadership. I'm now going to uh, read a case study and this is um, a client called that I'm calling Colin. Of course, that's not his real name. And once again, as, as all the client experiences that I share in my book, this is not just the experience of one client. This is the experience of multiple clients that I've worked with. Colin had blocked his past trauma and had no patience for anyone in his team. He had learned to suppress his emotional pain and expected others to do the same. As a result, he had no empathy for those who were struggling with high workload and on the verge of burnout. He had no idea that many of his team felt bullied. When Colin worked with a horse called Callie, he asked her to move. There was no empathy for her or space for her to have an opinion, so she refused and stood still. Colin became increasingly frustrated, but he tried to hide it. The more he tried to contain his anger, the more unwilling Callie was to go with him. She refused to cooperate with either the anger or the suppression of it. Colin realised, as many clients do, that his experiences were affecting his leadership. He didn't need to divulge the details of the past trauma because those details were not relevant. Instead, we explored how it had resulted in his lack of empathy which prevented him from building good relationships with his team. It was deeply insightful for Colin to realise the pressure he was putting on his team by refusing to give space for emotions and not acknowledging when people were struggling. Colin had no intention of bullying his team, but his lack of empathy prevented him from supporting them under pressure. Since the workshop, Colin's relationship with the team have improved. They talk openly about the pressure they are all under and work together to help alleviate it. Fear, blame, judgment and stress have all reduced within the team. Empathy without derailing. We are not machines. We have human experiences with emotional highs and lows. We tend to forget this when we continuously strive for end goals in business. Tiffin's experience of poor treatment on a former racing yard has left its mark. He takes longer to build trust with people, especially men with strong dominant energy. 
His workload is therefore lower than that of the other horses in the herd because he gets stressed more quickly. I pay closer attention to him to ensure he doesn't get overwhelmed and panic. By understanding him in this way and recognising his limits, he's able to continue working. Although Tiffin's workload may be lower, his impact certainly isn't. He will highlight emotional and physical pain in clients, a role he plays willingly, resulting in profound insights for people that the other horses couldn't provide. While Tiffin can't do the workload of Callie, he brings something that she cannot. Therein lies his value. We can't always measure the input and output of team members with tangible numerical metrics. We must also explore the value that people bring to the team that is unique to them and that nobody else could bring. When someone behaves out of character, there's usually a good reason and it may not be obvious. People aren't always consistent in their behaviour because their experiences influence how they show up in different situations. When you pay greater attention to how people behave and their emotional responses, there's an opportunity to flex your style to get the best out of everyone in any given moment. It's important to have empathy for everyone in the organisation during times of major change and uncertainty, to recognise that people are affected in different ways and to help them navigate uncertainty. This is different for everyone. In my first book, Leadership Beyond Measure, I explain how the comfort zone affects different people in different ways. And here's a quote. If you find yourself stretching more and more in your work and you feel overstretched constantly, you need to take time out to relax and recharge. When people go off sick with work-related stress, it's because they have felt as though they are constantly in the danger zone and have not felt able to take time out. Organisational trauma. Pain and trauma are not limited to individuals. Repeated change and transformation cause organisational trauma. As we undergo rapid change, organisations respond through restructuring programmes, organisational change and redefining people's roles. This increases uncertainty and has an emotional impact on the people in the organisation. When a large proportion of a workforce is made redundant, it's not just those who leave who feel uncertain. Change has an impact on those left behind as they reorganise and adapt to meet the changing needs of the new organisation. There's a period of uncertainty as job roles change and people potentially expand their responsibilities as they pick up the additional workload. The organisation and culture change as well. There's a grieving process, however minor, for those left behind as they say goodbye to colleagues they respected and probably enjoyed working with. Everyone's job shifts, sometimes in small ways, sometimes substantially. Redundancy programmes don't just have an impact on the people who are made redundant. Employees who remain are affected and the organisation undergoes trauma. Typically, this trauma is unspoken, unacknowledged and ignored. Employees are often encouraged to think positively and look forward, meeting the new challenges with enthusiasm and positivity. We're expected to be happy at all times in order to engage and inspire others. But this steps over the need to feel emotions and move on from them. In pretending the redundancy does not affect the remaining employees, the old unfinished situation is necessarily suppressed. People may feel anger at how colleagues have been treated or how the process has been executed. They may feel fear that they 
may have narrowly escaped losing their job and might lose it in the future, or many other emotions. The suppression of these emotions generates unrest within the organisation and that creates a ripple effect. Suppressed emotions cause a lack of authenticity, which leads to mistrust in the organisation. Those who express their anger or fear are challenged and criticised for being emotional at work. We're expected to move on quickly. By stepping over our emotional experience, organisational trauma does not disappear, however. Instead, it becomes the unnamed influence that continues to have an impact, even though it's unacknowledged. We need a level of honesty and transparency around organisational change. Emotions need space to be expressed, understood and recognised. This doesn't mean getting caught up in emotional outbursts and creating a downward spiral of righteous indignation. Instead, it requires a recognition that everyone is having their own emotional experience and an acknowledgement that moving on can take more time. The trauma does not end on the day people leave the organisation. It continues to have an impact for weeks and months. What trauma is affecting your organisation that is largely being glossed over? It's not just traumatic events such as redundancy that create organisational trauma. Mergers and acquisitions and any other forms of major change also create trauma. Uncertainty in these moments is challenging and generates a whole range of emotions and that's different for everyone. How the organisation responds and how people are supported through change affects the company culture and the ability to move forward quickly. Some organisations operate on the front line and may be repeatedly operating under stress. For example, the police, armed forces, ambulance services or trading desks where people run on adrenaline. Leaders in those organisations need to provide greater support to reduce stress and overwhelm and encourage people to be honest about their emotions. One great example of such a leader is Elizabeth Cronin, the director of the New York State Office of Victim Services. She recognises the importance of empathy for her team and she finds ways to ease the pressure they are under. And the following and final section of this chapter is um, a short section that has been written by Elizabeth about her team. We are at the sharp end of uncertainty. I have to be mindful that my staff can be traumatised at any time. My team work with very difficult issues. We never know what's going to happen from one day to the next. We work with people who could be upset or traumatised. Each case is different. The New York State Office of Victim Services provides financial compensation to innocent victims of crime. We also fund victim assistance providers throughout the state of New York and we advocate on behalf of crime victims throughout the state. It's a necessary component of a criminal justice response. Every claim is a person with a history, a family and a circumstance that has to be considered. My executive team and I help the team understand the mission and keep going back to it. Work is never just about processing something. It's, under, it's essential to understand why you are doing it. This agency has had to respond to some terrible mass events like 9-11. In 2009, there was a mass shooting where many people were killed, severely injured and traumatised. We have to respond to those things as well as doing our regular day-to-day work. The caregivers need care, as well as those who receive our services. 
We recognise that staff are dealing with very difficult things and need training and support on an ongoing basis. We cannot ignore the importance of this. In addition, people are dealing with their own life experiences and trauma situations. We have to be open-minded and pay attention to staff. We do a lot of cross-training with other agencies so that they can seek support from other areas. We try to have a lot of fun too as an antidote to the serious issues we deal with. I recognise that people are doing very difficult work and need to let off steam. Our work is deadly serious, but we are all human beings and need to balance the severity and seriousness with light-heartedness as well. People need to know that they are supported and understood and I work hard to do that with my team. I'm a fast thinker, so I pay attention to slow down, wait until someone has finished, allow a moment of silence to process ideas until they can articulate it. I need to know what's really happening on the ground and I can only do that by truly listening to people. When you listen to people, they feel valued and are more likely to come forward and tell you things you want to hear, but also the things you might not want to hear. It creates an environment of openness that is really needed when you're leading through uncertainty. Leading through uncertainty presents challenge for all of us. And I am mindful of the need to ensure everyone in my team is adequately supported. Only then can we achieve our mission together. And, you know, whilst I accept that um, Elizabeth Cronin is as the director of the New York State Office of Victim Services is dealing with, you know, the front line of victim support in some quite difficult situations where there is trauma. Many of the things that she talks about there are really important in everyday working environments, whether it's healthcare, financial services, whatever industry you're in, we really need to start paying to the paying attention to the humanity that is working in our organisation and to recognise that everybody's having their own emotional experiences and that we might not understand them. And the more we listen and pay attention and seek to understand people, the more we can support them and the more we can allow humanity to thrive in the workplace and in society. As usual, I'd love to know what you think about all of this. So um, feel free to email me, post your comments below. I'd love to hear your thoughts. That's it this week. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast and you'd like to read the full chapter, you can download a copy of it from my website at judejennison.com forward slash podcasts. Or if you'd like to hear real live stories of leaders who've led through uncertainty and how they've overcome their challenges, check out season one of this podcast, episodes one to 35, where I interview leaders from a variety of organisations on their experiences. There are some truly inspirational stories from leaders there. I'm Jude Jennison, host of the Leading Through Uncertainty podcast and founder of Leaders by Nature. Keep leading and I'll come back soon with the next chapter of my book, Leading Through Uncertainty.